This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. We are departing from our series on life in the Spirit today uh, to, to focus on a text in the Old Testament that I think is especially applicable uh, given what we're talking about today or, or on Graduate Sunday. So it's a message that is, I'm thinking about our graduates, but it's equally applicable, I think, to everybody because everybody needs wisdom for life, which is what we're talking about today. First Kings chapter 3, and let's look together at verses 5 and following. We need wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? How do we get wisdom for living? Let's talk about that. 1 Kings 3, and let's begin with verse 5. The Bible says that Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind, or it can be translated a discerning heart, to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you've asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Let's pray. Father, as we think about this text today, we're mindful of what the Apostle James tells us, that if any of us lacks wisdom, that we can come to you and we can ask and you don't withhold wisdom. In fact, you, as a generous Father, give wisdom liberally, in abundance, if we seek you. And so we pray that you would help these graduates and every one of us to seek your face. To honestly come before you in complete transparency and seek nothing but your will and your way for our lives. We pray that you would give us wisdom for life, wherever we are in life, 
young or old or anywhere in between, whatever our situation or station in life, we need your wisdom, Father. Would you show us today an example of how that comes? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as my son is, is graduating from high school, our, our first child graduating from high school and moving on to college, I've noticed that the last few weeks have been a really reflective time for me. Um, so guys, you need to be patient with your parents because they're processing a lot right now. So uh, it's been a really reflective time and I'm thinking about all the good times that I've shared with my son. And so I'm thinking about, you know, going hunting together and, um, and going to games together and, and father-son trips that we've taken together. And I've even thought about the movies that we've enjoyed together. Because there are certain movies that I'm never going to be able to watch without thinking about Caleb. Because we shared them together. In fact, in these cases, we shared them multiple times together. So I was thinking the other day, I was kind of making a mental list of Caleb and Dad's greatest hits. Father-son movies that we've enjoyed together. Lord of the Rings. All three Lord of the Rings extended editions multiple times. Gladiator. Black Hawk Down, Band of Brothers, all the Jason Bourne movies, The Book of Eli, Zero Dark Thirty, Lone Survivor, and American Sniper. Now, there's a common theme here. Weapons, all right? Weapons, war, okay? It's pretty prevalent in all of these titles. But Caleb and I are outnumbered by females in our family, okay? And so when I venture over into the female uh, movie-watching part of the Hayes house, let me tell you, things are quite a bit different over there. And it's not about war, okay? It's about love, all right? It's all about love. And you know, Now, they tell me they're watching different movies over there, but actually it's the same movie with different titles over there, okay? It's always love, and, and, and there's something always in the background that's threatening love. You know, there's some, some dark cloud is hovering, some bad situation or person is threatening, but in the end, okay, love wins, okay? Well, guys, I hate to disappoint you, but I'm going to begin with one of the chick flicks here today, okay? Um, Aladdin, all right? Um, so in Aladdin, um, Aladdin has the opportunity to ask uh, a genie for whatever he wants. The genie appears to him, says, you can, you can wish for whatever you want. And so, I mean, Aladdin has a blank check, right? can ask for anything that his heart desires. Well, that's a great fictional story, but there's a true story in the Bible that's like that. Because Solomon, the brand new king in Israel, his father David's been king before him. Solomon is new to the throne, and God appears to Solomon, and it says this, the Lord appeared to him in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. What an opportunity. What a test, right? It was a test of his heart. What was he going to ask for? God just puts it out there. He says, you can ask me for whatever you desire. Solomon is a young guy at this point, He's got his whole future stretched out before him, and he can ask God for anything that he desires. So what is he going to ask for? Okay, 
We can learn from this. We can learn from what he does ask for. We can learn from what he doesn't ask for. We can learn from God's response to what he asks for. And we can learn from his attitude in the asking. So, uh, first of all, we can learn something from Solomon's attitude in this situation. Someone has said that your attitude in life determines your altitude in life. There's a lot of truth to that. And if that's the case, then Solomon is prepared to fly high. First of all, Solomon has an attitude of gratitude. And we see this in verse 6. He says to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David my father because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. Solomon's prayer here just exudes thanksgiving to God. He is thankful for God's faithfulness to his family before him, his faithfulness to David, and now his faithfulness to him. He has an attitude of gratitude. Graduates and everyone have an attitude of gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, even the trials, because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We can give thanks in all circumstances as believers, even the, the difficult times in our lives, because we know that our sovereign God is at work in all of our circumstances. That He's at work for His glory and for our good. And so in all circumstances, give thanks. If we have a spirit of thanksgiving, a spirit of of counting our blessings rather than complaining or murmuring or grumbling, you know, we're set up for all kinds of, of good things in life. So an attitude of gratitude. Second, Solomon has an attitude of humility, and we see this in verses 7 and 8. He prays, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Solomon says, I'm just a little child. No, actually he wasn't. He was a young man. But Solomon appreciates the enormity of the challenge that is in front of him. And he he is humbly depending upon God for help. Now, so many people in Solomon's situation would not have been like that. They would have felt entitled. I mean, after all, Solomon is the rightful heir to the throne. I mean, he could have had the attitude, hey, you know, David was, my father David was king, and now it's my time, and hey, I'm kind of exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm I'm entitled to this, but you don't see any of that in Solomon. I mean, he, he feels utterly inadequate, and he knows that he can't do this on his own. He's humbly dependent upon God for help. We saw a great example back in April, of both gratitude and humility on display at the Masters Golf Tournament. 21-year-old Jordan Spieth 
won the Masters, won it going away, basically destroyed the field, tied the tournament record, and just really displayed a great deal of maturity, was the epitome of a gentleman both on and off the course. But I was really touched by what happened after he won the tournament, after he sank the final putt on the 18th green. He sank that putt and he made a beeline for his mom and dad and just embraced them and thanked them uh, because he knew he didn't get where he was on his own, just like you guys have had people that loved you and parents and grandparents and other people that love you and care about you in your life you know, that have helped you to this point and, and, and nourished you along the way. Made a beeline for his mom and dad, embraced them. And, but this was the most touching part. And it was barely audible on the telecast, but you could, you could catch it. And I, I ran it back and, and, saw, and heard it again. But as he was, he was hugging his dad, um, his, his dad uh, whispered to Jordan, he said, now go back out and thank the people. And immediately he turned on his heels, walked back out to the middle of the green and just acknowledged all the people that had supported him. You know, if, if, if we can cultivate these two virtues, gratitude, praise, you know, thanksgiving, I mean, counting our blessings, uh, instead of being a complainer or a grumbler in life, okay, if we've got an attitude of gratitude and we've got uh, an attitude of humility, okay, God, the Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Okay, if we've got these two attitudes, listen, uh, we're, we're set up for all, we're, put, we're in a position where God can bless us. So, first of all, we can learn a lot from Solomon's attitude. Uh, Second, we can learn a lot from what he doesn't ask for. Now, God alludes to what Solomon doesn't ask for in verse 11. He says, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies. So, first of all, Solomon doesn't ask for wealth for himself. Now certainly, if you were to do a poll of the general population, and if they were being honest in the poll, and we know people aren't always honest in in polls, but let's say they were being super transparent and just gut level honest, if, if people were to admit, okay, if you could ask for anything that you desired, what would you ask for? I think the percentages would be like well over 90% um, would say I would ask for riches. And why? Why would that be the case? Well, Pascal said that all people seek happiness. I think that's true. The presumption on the part of all of those people is that riches will bring happiness. That's why they would ask for it. But That is a deception, as most people who have truly attained worldly wealth would would say. I saw an interview the other day with the late Steve Jobs, and if you don't know who Steve Jobs uh, was, 
Uh, he's the guy, he's the, he's the reason that a lot of this generation in particular, and some of us who are older too, walk around a lot like this, okay, all the time. Okay, because he was the, the mind behind the iPhone and the iPad and the Mac. And so there's a YouTube video of Steve Jobs. It's just a minute and eight seconds long. I commend it to you. You just type in the search engine, Steve Jobs, don't do it for the money. And it's an interview with him. And he's talking about the fact that he says, by the time I was 23, I was, I was worth over a million dollars. This is like in the late 70s, okay? By the time I was 24, I was worth over 10 million. And by the time I was 25, I was well over 100 million. And it went from there. And he said, it didn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything. It was a nice byproduct of what we were doing, but that's not what meant anything. He says what meant something was the, the people along the way. It was the relationships. It was the whole creative process. It was those days back in that garage in California when we were... It was the joy of, uh, of discovery, okay, and, and, and doing that together and doing that with people. Those things brought meaning, but uh, the money, don't do it for the money. That's not where happiness comes from. And Solomon seems to understand that. And so he, 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 he doesn't ask for that. Now, eventually, God, God blesses him uh, with that, but that wasn't what he sought. It was not what he sought. Okay, so he does not ask for wealth for himself. Second, he doesn't ask for death for enemies. Now, in Solomon's case, uh, this would have been understandable. After all, what is he? He's going to be king. And his father David was king. Now, if you read the Psalms of David, do you think David had enemies? Okay, lots of enemies. Okay, many of whom were still alive when his son becomes king. So, hey, Solomon has the opportunity to just clean house. Just say, hey, I want all of these. I don't want these enemies nipping at my heels. I don't want them to be a thorn in my side. I want them wiped out. He could wipe out his political enemies. He doesn't do it. Solomon seems to understand that sweet revenge is actually not so sweet. J.R. Tolkien says this in The Return of the King, it is useless to meet revenge with revenge. It will heal nothing. You see, bitterness, grudge-holding, unforgiveness, a desire for revenge, it doesn't allow us to fly high in life. It weighs us down. You know, you know, we're the ones. If we allow these things into our minds and our hearts, you know, we're the ones who are essentially taking something toxic into us. John Ortberg wisely says, bitterness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. It eats us alive. And so it doesn't allow us to fly high. It's toxic to us. And then second, it doesn't indicate confidence in God. When we seek revenge against, against others, okay, or allow bitterness uh, into our lives, that doesn't indicate confidence in God that, that God can take care of our enemies. Paul says this in, in, in Romans 12, uh, verses 17 and following. He says, repay no one evil for evil. 
but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I want us to go back to what Paul says here in verse 19. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but what? Leave it to the wrath of God. In in other words, God and God alone has the knowledge, the right, and the power to know how to properly deal with, with enemies. Okay, it is not our role to usurp God's place and to play God um, and to seek to, uh, to personally avenge ourselves against enemies. Solomon has that opportunity. Uh, he, he, he does not uh, take it. I was really struck uh, by something that I read in, in President, Ra- President Reagan's uh, diaries. And when I got to uh, this part uh, of of Reagan's diaries. It absolutely blew me away. President Reagan kept very detailed diaries throughout the eight years that he was president. And in this, on this particular entry, he's thinking about the day that he was shot. And, you know, I'll never forget it. I was a sophomore in high school and it was spring break. And so I was home that day and so I watched this horror play out on the news all day long. The president walking out of this building after making a speech. And the shots just coming out of nowhere. And just the violence and the terror of that moment. And you remember he shoved into the limousine. And they, they whisked him to George Washington Hospital. And, um, and we now know that he was actually very close to dying. And President Reagan, a, a few days after, you know, recovering from surgery and everything, he's writing about what he was thinking, what he was feeling uh, during those moments. And he says this, I walked into the emergency room and was hoisted onto a cart where I was stripped of my clothes. It was then that we learned I'd been shot and had a bullet in my lung. Getting shot hurts. Still my fear was growing because no matter how hard I tried to breathe, it seemed I was getting less and less air. I focused on that tiled ceiling and prayed. But I realized I couldn't ask for God's help while at the same time I felt hatred for the mixed up young man who had shot me. Isn't that the meaning of the lost sheep? We're all God's children and therefore equally beloved by Him. I began to pray for His soul and that he would find his way back to the fold. Now, you see there um, a couple of things. First of all, he has the wisdom to understand that he's, he's lying there fighting for his life, and, and negativity and bitterness and hatred is not going to help. And it doesn't help us in any situation, okay? Um, it just drains us. Okay, or pours poison into us that we don't need. He understands that. But he also recognizes, I'm a sinner. 
I need God's mercy myself. You know, there was a situation in David's life. I bet David talked to Solomon about this. But there was a situation in David's life where David has the perfect opportunity to avenge himself. You remember in, uh, with David, David uh, was, was kind of King Saul's right-hand guy for a while, and, uh, and, and David has won all these victories for Saul on the battlefield. He's been nothing but loyal to King Saul. But uh, he becomes a little bit too successful for Saul, and Saul is filled with jealousy toward David. And one day, Saul picks up his spear and hurls it at David and tries to ram him through with his spear and pin into the wall. And, and, and eventually, you know, things just get so bad with Saul that David has to flee. He has to flee for his life. And he's on the run, and he's, he has to hide out in, 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 in caves and just live his, his life as a vagabond and a, and a, and a fugitive as, uh, as uh, Saul and his army are chasing him and trying to kill him. Well, one night, Saul is asleep in a cave, and, and David creeps up, and this is his opportunity. The very spear that Saul had tried to ram through, David is right there beside a sleeping Saul's head. And David has the opportunity to take that same spear and the same spear that Saul had used to try to pin him to the wall. And David has the opportunity to take that spear and pin Saul to the ground. You know, and no more fleeing. My enemy is eliminated. He has that opportunity. He doesn't do it. He gives mercy to, uh, to King Saul why? Well, like in Psalm 57, when David reflects on that situation in his life, it's very clear why he didn't. Because David, him, David understood that he too needed God's mercy. That he was a sinner in need of God's mercy. You see, ultimately, you know, we think about the fact, hey, Saul tried to pin David to the wall... David had the opportunity to pin Saul to the ground. But I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ was pinned to the cross for all of us. Okay, because of our, our need for forgiveness. There was a spear that pierced Jesus that was rammed through our Savior so that all of us sinners can be forgiven. Okay, we need to understand that all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. When we understand that, we're better able to give grace and forgiveness to others and not allow bitterness and unforgiveness and a desire for revenge to, to penetrate into our lives. So, he doesn't ask for wealth for himself. He doesn't ask for death for his enemies. And then also, we see that he doesn't ask for long life. Far more important then a long life is an impactful life. When you think about all of the impact of somebody like a Jim Elliot, the missionary who was martyred in his late 20s in Ecuador, and the, and the, the, the generation of missionaries 
that have come forth because of the, the life and testimony and the journals of, of Jim Elliot. Okay, think about that, that brief life, but the continuing impact of a Jim Elliot. When Jim Elliot was killed, he had in his possession the journals of David Brainerd, another missionary who died like in his 20s. And so there have been lots and lots of people that haven't had long lives, but they have had lives of incredible impact. And so Solomon seems to understand far more important than a long life is an impactful life, plus he understands this life is not all there is. This life, as C.S. Lewis says, is only the, uh, the, the cover and the title page. Okay, James says that, that this life is like a vapor. It's quickly gone. This earth is not our home. We're strangers. We're exiles. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims on this earth. Okay, we should be far more concerned about eternity. Okay, this life is just but a brief moment in time. And so... You know, as believers, we understand, as Paul says in Philippians 1, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so, you know, uh, the, 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 the perspective that we should have on that is that, yes, we want, to, we, we want to savor every day that God gives us. And God's in charge of how long our lives last. And, and, as, and with every day that He gives us, we want to glorify Him and make an impact for Him. God's in charge of how long our lives last. And if we know Christ, when our earthly lives do end, then we're going to have eternity with Him. And so Solomon's not so interested in just sort of uh, pro, just prolonging his earthly life. Erwin McManus is a, a pastor out in Los Angeles, and he tells about uh, the day that 9-11 happened, and, and, and most of you guys were really small when that happened, but um, he was talking about that uh, on that day, you know, he, they spent the day, he and his wife, and they were ministering to people in their church that were trying to process what was going on. Um, but that night, he and his wife Kim sat down, and they said, you know what, we've got to talk to the kids in the morning. They were, they were old enough to kind of begin to understand it. Um, I remember having a conversation like that um, with with my son, but Erwin said, you know, um, we sat down with the kids, and he said, for every part of me wanted to tell them, I wanted to tell them, you know what, this can never happen to you. We are 3,000 miles away, you know, it could, it, we're, you're perfectly safe, something like this could never happen to you. I wanted to tell them all that, but I knew it wouldn't be true. And so I decided to tell them the truth, and I said, guys, you know, the truth is this, we, we cannot control when we die or how we die. What we can control is how we live. How we live a life of impact for God's glory. So, we can learn a lot from what He doesn't ask for, and we can learn a lot from what He does ask for. Verses 8 and 9. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind 
Okay, and the word mind and heart there in Hebrew, very similar, so it can be translated to a discerning heart to govern your people. That I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? Solomon asks for wisdom. Wisdom. But we need to note a couple of things about wisdom. First of all, for Solomon, wisdom is not just intellectual firepower. It is not just intellectual firepower divorced from character. Because he's asking for wisdom to do what? To, verse 9, to discern between good and evil. This is the man who writes much of the book of Proverbs. It is not about IQ, divorce from character. Okay, it's all about uh, right living. It's, a, it's about wisdom. It's about the ability to see what is right and the courage to do what is right. To make sound moral choices, which is, which is what godly wisdom is. It's right living which is not only the right way to live, but the best way to live, the happiest way to live. Okay, that's what he's asking for, is, is that, that, that wisdom from God to see what's right, to discern between good and evil, and to do what is right. So, wisdom, not intellectual firepower, divorce from character. And second, Solomon is not asking for wisdom just so that he could be successful. Because what does he say here? In verse 9, he says, Lord, I want wisdom that what? That I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. He says at the beginning of the verse, verse 9, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people. Solomon is asking for wisdom to do what? To serve others. He understands that the decisions that he makes are going to impact other lives. As a leader, okay, whatever position of leadership you're in, either as a mom or as a mom or dad, or you know where, where you work or whatever it is, okay, the decisions that you make, you don't make in a vacuum. No, all our decisions impact other lives. We we should want wisdom to better be able to serve other people. That's what Solomon is asking for. A, a discerning heart, an understanding mind, so that I'm, I'm better able to lead and serve other people. And so graduates, congregation, live for a cause bigger than you. Live for a cause bigger than you. Jesus says that if you, try to, if you try to find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. But what did he mean by that? In other words, Jesus says, if you, try, if you live for yourself, okay, if, it's, if life is all about you, okay, if you try to, to grab a hold and, and, and find your life that way and live a life of self-indulgence, okay, selfishness, then what's going to happen really is that you think you're going to find your life that way, you're going to waste your life that way. But if you'll lose your life 
in serving others. Live your life for the good of others. Okay, put Christ first, others second, you last. J-O-Y, joy. Jesus first, others second, and you third. You know, actually, what happens when we do that is that we find life. We, we find life when we do that. John Wesley said this, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you ever can. Solomon wants wisdom to do that. Fourth, we can learn something here from God's response to Solomon's request. God says in verse 10, it says it, it, says it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked. God's loving this. God is delighting in Solomon's request. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you've asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Instead of seeking his own honor and glory Solomon is about the honor and the glory of God, but see, there's a principle that's at work here. And the biblical principle, which his father David had learned first, which we see in 1 Samuel 2, is this. The Lord declares, those who honor me, I will honor. You put God first. You make your life about his honor and glory. You focus on that God takes care of the rest. Jesus says in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, you focus on the glory of God. Seek to take your life, your talents, your abilities, your experiences, your situation, your brain, your intellect, every part of who God has made you to be. You take your life and you seek to leverage that for God's honor and glory. Seek to love Him and love others. And God says, I'll take care of the rest. Everything else will follow in its wake. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for uh, this example of wisdom in in the life of Solomon, we pray that uh, you would give us the attitudes of, of gratitude, of humility. We pray, Father, that you would deliver us from trying to find um, satisfaction and fulfillment in all the wrong places, that you would, that you would give us a focus on you, your glory loving you, loving others, looking up to you in faith and out to our neighbor in love because we know that that's the path really to, uh, to fulfillment in life and to an impactful life. We pray that 
you would take these lives of our graduates and make them men and women of impact for your glory as they go forth and that you would do that with all of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and uh, God's speaking to you about a decision that you need to make or just you need spiritual counsel, um, you want to talk with someone or pray with someone, uh, we're going to be here for you and we'll be here after the service if you need to talk with someone as well. If you're interested in membership in our our church, uh, we'd love to uh, begin talk with you about that. And and if you just need prayer, um, you're invited to, to come today as we stand and sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.